Hey, if you are a fan of the Belonging Factor podcast, you are going to love the Belonging Factor book. My new book, Belonging Factor, How Great Brands and Great Leaders Inspire Loyalty, Build Community, and Grow Profits is now available. So get on Amazon, order your copy today, ebook, audiobook, paperback, hardcover. We've got you covered no matter what your preference. I call it the single most important asset that any entrepreneur or leader will ever own. And that is you know, trust develops. And you know, that's the bridge. You know, without that, you can't have those clear boundaries. You can't live those values. You can't create these safe communities that we want to be a part of. Right? That's all part of belonging. And, uh, you know, that right there is the thread that connects and uh, strengthens every one of these these communities. You're listening to the Belonging Factor Podcast, a show about the power of people. Each week, we explore how great brands and great leaders inspire loyalty, build community, and grow profits. Here's an award-winning leader, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and your host, Devin Halliday. Hey, all right. We are back for another episode of the Belonging Factor podcast. And oh my gosh, is this just uh, a, a blessing this week. Bobby Herrera, the CEO at Populous Group and the author of the book, The Gift of Struggle. It is such a phenomenal book. Bobby's story is so relatable to millions of Americans and people all over the world who have fought for their identity and to make their contribution matter. And learning all along the way from all of the struggles that uh, that that have come along, it's uh, it's just such a great book, a great interview, and a really amazing person. So, without further ado, I present to you Bobby Herrera, CEO of the Populist Group. Hey, so Bobby, welcome! It's awesome to have you here on the Belonging Factor Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Oh, I'm grateful to be here, Evan. It's a blast. So for our listeners to, to get a chance to understand some of your experiences and things that you wrote about in uh, both your book, The Gift of Struggle, which came out in June, as well as things that you've learned kind of over the course of time in leading people, whether that was from you know, the military days to being the CEO of, of Populous Group. It all started somewhere, right? So why don't you kind of take us maybe from that first moment where kind of giving was something that entered into your DNA? I, I'll take you back to um, the way I discovered it, Devin. Yeah, the, the moment that changed everything for me was the bus story. And, you know, I... Uh, I'll start by just telling you that story and then I'll, I'll, I'll back it up and unpack it for you a little bit. But, you know, when I was 17, my brother and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, we stopped for dinner. Everyone unloaded off the bus, except for my brother, Ed and I, you know, we couldn't afford to play sports and pay for dinner. So we were well accustomed to staying on that bus while the rest of the team uh, joined, uh, went in the restaurant for dinner. Well, a few moments after the team unloaded, one of the dads to one of the other players stepped on board the bus. And he razzed me a little bit because Ed had outscored me that night. You know, he likes to tell people it happened often. I say rare occasions, so we kind of have that healthy <laughs> duel. And Brothers. Uh, exactly. And yeah, but I'll never forget what he said to me right after. He said, Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to pay you pay for dinner so you and the boys, you and Ed could join the rest of the boys for, for dinner. And I had this in, 
amazing wave of gratitude just come over me at that moment, Evan, that I'll always remember. And, you know, I often tell people that I'm one kind act away from not telling them a story. <laughs> and that's one of those moments. And it just had such a big impact on me because, uh, you know, my family up to that point in our journey, you know, struggle had been the only constant in, in our, in our lives. And, uh, you know, Mr. Teague, the gentleman that bought me dinner that night, uh, he was a real successful businessman in the community. And the narrative that I told was that, you know, people like him didn't notice kids like me. And with mm -hmm. one true act of leadership, just one amicable act of generosity, he showed me that I too could someday make a difference. And you know, I had many other moments like that in my journey, like many others. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, uh, it, I think it really brought out for me the essence of what leadership really is and you know, that seeing an encouraging potential, but it was the first time in my life that I felt seen. And I had no idea what in the world I was going to do when I got off that bus, Devin, but I knew why, you know, I was going to, create something that would allow me to pay forward that kind act to other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide. And it was just a course changer for me. That's that, that's such a powerful realization to have. And one that I think serves as an important lesson as I hear the story and, and think, I don't know if it's 17, I would have recognized the value in that moment. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's because of the privilege that I have grown up with or experienced in my life without recognizing it necessarily, but obviously uh, have had opportunities as a result of, uh, and I've talked about it in Blowing Factor plenty, but being a, a Caucasian straight male in this world, that's kind of how the world has been geared to, to give those people privilege, fair or not, you know? Uh, and so... Uh, I don't know if I would have seen that. I don't know if I would have recognized that and had the, the, the ability to think past, Oh wow, I'm getting a meal. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Let's go eat instead to look how to pay it forward. But it sounds like that's then informed so much of what's come in the years since, right? It has. And you know, I also want to make sure that you understand that it wasn't like it, it wasn't like the sky parted and I saw this light and, and you know, it had a profound impact on me, but I'm 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I could barely spell my name. And yeah, you know, the only thing I knew was that a year from then I was going to raise my hand and join the army mm. as my first step to take control of my story. And all of our situations are different. And so I'll often say that, you know, we all struggle, yet every struggle teaches us something. So that's the gift. And leadership is sharing those gifts. And, you know, it's much more than just being um, down financially. You know, the biggest battle we fight is the one inside. And at that point in my life, really the signal that he sent me was what I believe every single one of us want in that, like I wanted my story to matter. And at that point, everything that I saw around me, I didn't know if my story ever would, mm. but that one act of kindness gave me the sense that I could make a difference. And that brings us back to your original question, right? Like the giving, right? Giving feels good. And you know, great leadership is about giving more than you take. And, and that's different from charity. Right. That, that's Absolutely. important, but it's different. Right. Giving is about wanting more for your people than you want from them. Right. And he wanted more for me in that moment than, than he wanted from me. And it's not like I recognized it right away. I mean, I went to the military and then I started school and I had a couple of uh, other opportunities before I started my entrepreneurial journey. And I was no different than any other you know, young man that's making a lot of mistakes. And I, 
reflecting on that moment though is really what brought it together for me. That's great to to have that as a marker, uh, whether it's in, in reflection or in that moment, but have that as a marker and and use that to inform so much. So belonging factor, the idea of talking about all these lessons that we learn, these gifts we receive, the what we give and what we create, kind of centered around this idea of building a sense of belonging for people. That's what we talk about quite a bit. And what your story and what the culture of your organization at Populous Group has grown into uh, is is one living example of the definition, I, I believe, of creating a sense of belonging. But maybe you could define, just in your own words, what what is what is belonging? What's a sense of belonging, and why is that important? I think it's more than just. Uh, I think it's more than just what we want individually, but I think it's what we want as a community. And uh, you know, uh, when when I started my company, that bus story and that moment, it was raging inside of me. Mm-hmm. It became the invisible force that drove me. And I made a big mistake, though, Devin, and I highlight this in the book. I didn't share that story with anybody, and once I did, it changed everything because my team and the people that worked in, in my community, I built populist group. They, you know, they felt the passion, they felt the intensity, yeah. but they didn't understand it. And so once I told that story, it humanized me and they were able to connect it to something that uh, they knew about me, which then connected all of us to something bigger than ourselves. And, you know, that's why I said it's much more than, than the individual. It's mm-hmm. about wanting to be a part of something that transforms whatever you're doing, you know, whether it be a company or a small team into that community. And, you know, we all want our stories to matter. We all want to know that we can be relevant in it. And, you know, when, when I think about belonging, it's about that unwavering unselfishness that uh, generosity that we have to help others uh, and yeah I, once I developed the courage to tell that story it got us on our way that unselfish desire to help others and and it being a bigger part of uh, the existence than just you but the whole community. And what a great lesson in that idea of bringing people in to understand you. So humanizing you was the effect, but there was something bigger that made the human humanizing thing happen, right? That, that made that connection happen. And that was a sense of shared purpose, probably shared connection to not just the outcome, but the process we're going through to get there, right? All, all of the value set, all of those things that, that come along with feeling like, oh, I'm working with a person now. I'm not... It's not just the the guy over there that writes the checks and says, hey, every once in a while. No doubt. I mean, we've all had that experience where we meet someone mm. and we're human. Yeah, we make assumptions or you know, judgments about you know, who they are and what they believe. And then you hear this riveting story that just changes everything. Right. And you're like, Wow. I had no idea. And that's always a lesson in itself. Yet what I believe happens, it's magical is, you know, I call it the single most important asset that any entrepreneur or leader will ever own. And that is you know, trust develops. And you know, that's the bridge. You know, without that, you can't have those clear boundaries. You can't live those values. You can't create these safe communities that we want to be a part of. Right, that's all part of belonging. 100%. And, um, you know, that right there is the thread that connects and uh, strengthens every one of these, these communities. So I'd love to, I, I want to do something for our listeners. I want to unpack that moment where you decided that people needed to hear the bus story, like where you realized that that was the thing. And I want to do that because everybody has a bus story of some sort, some kind in them that, that, that moment of 
pivotal experience that shaped a decision or a, a, a method of, of, I don't know, aspiring to be like somebody it could, it could start as simple as that. And then eventually turn sure. into something bigger. And, um, and for many who, who listen to this podcast, the, the idea is to pull some sort of like moment where I can reflect and apply something. And I feel like this is one of those moments that we could uh, apply something in to this dialogue. So talk right. about that moment you decided the bus story had to be shared. Right. Well, I wish I could tell you that I planned it. I developed <laughs> all this courage to do it and I practiced it, but it happened nothing like that. It was more accidental than anything. And um, I was working on a project to film our company's culture code. And, you know, I, you, you recently saw version two and version three, mm. but this was our very first version. And, you know, it was a video project and I brought in this gentleman to help me film the speaking and video portions of the culture cut. And I'm not one to go off a script. And we had gone through all the details of this project and it was more scripted than not. And so we are at the beginning of it and we're working off this script. And I finally just called time out. I said, Hey, this doesn't feel authentic. I, I can't, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And it was a quiet guy named Ben. And at our core, you know, my company exists because we believe everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. And we had defined that and my company knew that, but they didn't know why. I mean, aside from knowing I was a champion for the underdog. And um, so Ben, at the beginning of this conversation, you know, after I called time out, he says, you know, hey, Bobby, so you believe everyone deserves an opportunity to succeed. Well, why do you believe that? And just unscripted, unrehearsed, I, I told him the bus story. And it felt like this massive weight just came off my shoulders. And I didn't realize how heavy carrying that story had become. And he filmed the whole thing. And it was part of the first culture code. And a few weeks later, my company saw that and the impact it had on them. It was like, wow. And over time they heard it again. And I kept, the more I told it, the more I connected with my company and the transformation that I tell people happen is that, you know, we went from a company to a community mm. and not only did I start connecting with them, but they started to connect with me and they better connected with one another. And, you know, over time, the impact of that has been cumulative and, you know, it, uh, it more than it brought more, cl- it brought clarity and understanding to, you know, why things were so important for us and what was more important. So most important. So it was wonderful. So if I, if I asked you to identify a reason, was there a reason that the bus story was never shared? Was there something that, that was almost kind of wanted to just shade that part of yeah. your past because you've built out so much success since that moment or, uh, and I don't want to put any words in your mouth or even make any assumptions. Right. Um, but, but I, I believe that there are so many out there who that might be a, a thing is, is they, they want to disassociate from a piece of who, who they were at one point that made them who they are today. Or was it more just that you didn't really necessarily think it mattered to other people? Was it that simple? Uh, so yes. Yeah. Okay. Both. <laughs> uh, you know, Devin, I, I, I bought into the dogma that people uh, didn't need to hear it. And I bought into the dogma that I didn't need to share it. And at the same time, I hadn't developed the courage to build what I believe is one of the most critical skills in leadership and that's vulnerability. And uh, so I was still working on that part of my leadership journey, which is a horrible excuse because I knew better and I just didn't have the backbone to do it. And I, uh, you know, those all came together and I finally did. And, you know, like I said, it just had a, significant impact that you know, I think what it really did for others was it created the safety that they needed to see to 
they, you know, for them too to be themselves. Mm. All right. So I need to ask just for a, a little bit of give back from the community. So if, if you listen to the belonging factor and you love it, there's some things that would really help me out and help out the show and all the listeners. First, make sure you subscribe. Second, go in and rate the podcast. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts and you love it, five stars, leave a review. That is so helpful for all of us at the show, and it helps others get exposed to and see and hear what we're doing at the show. And then, of course, share it. Share your favorite episode, share it on Twitter, hashtag belonging factor, share it on Facebook, hashtag belonging factor, share it with your friends and your family and your coworkers and anybody else that you think would love to join in to the belonging factor family and the conversation. That's it. That's my ask. I really appreciate so much. Every one of you who listens and gives the gift of your time and hopefully that's paid back in spades with the guests and content we provide you at The Blowing Factor. Thanks a lot. We'll see you out there. And uh, you can't put a price on that leadership. You know, part of your job responsibility near the very top is you know, creating safety, creating safety for others. And there's only one way to do that. You know, People do what people see. You have to model it. So one one of the biggest premises that exists in the Belonging Factor podcast is this notion that building a sense of belonging, building community connection with your people is actually competitive advantage. It 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 informs your process when your values are lived that way, and it, it drives your profits. And conversely, not doing that creates risk, un, uh, self-inflicted, you know, unintentional risk. And one of the things that, that you write about in your book is this idea of thinking of intent versus impact. Right. And so many places in a leader's journey, well, actually, you don't have to be a leader. It doesn't matter your title. So many places in sure. your human journey the intent versus impact can show up. So, so what's, um, what for you stands out on that, the topic of kind of showing up with that intention or, or showing up to make that impact and where that, that can go wrong and how we can make it always go right. Yeah. So examples of where that's stood very true for me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, I don't think I could possibly cover even a fraction of them in, in the time <laughs> that we have together, one. but yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the, um, in one of the later chapters of the book, uh, I think it's titled the meeting mm-hmm. and, you know, I, um, it was a, it was a very tense environment when we had this meeting that I write about because we had a lot at stake with several decisions we had to make. And at the, at a certain point in that meeting, when my CFO finally just blurted out to one of the other execs and he, he said to, he said, Hey, like, why don't you just tell Bobby he's wrong? And he's like, mm. he couldn't be more open to the feedback. Uh, just, tell him is wrong. He's like, you've told me, tell him. And there was this like feeling in the room, you know, old bleep, like <laughs> this, it's a bomb about to explode in here. But I had an opposite feeling. Like my feeling was I looked around the room and I saw the look in their eyes and they were, they were afraid. Mm. And I could tell that they were afraid to speak up. And although I'd done my best to tell them, hey, like, it's safe, you know, this is the right, you know, say what you, I need to hear your voice. And, you know, overall, I felt like I was doing pretty good at, you know, some of those leadership fundamentals. But that moment, everyone's body language told me something different. Mm-hmm. And as much safety as I wanted to create for my team, the reality was is they didn't feel safe to tell me the unvarnished truth. 
and you know the person that he was uh, that he my CFO had called out. Uh, I, I said, "Hey, so is are, are you are you afraid to tell me?" And they said, "No, I'm not afraid of you, but you know we know that if if I do, you know things will get tense." All I heard was yes, right? right? So, you know, I didn't want my team to be afraid of me. And fortunately for me, after following that, they were all courageous enough to tell me the kind truth and say, hey, look, we get that you want us to tell you the truth. We get that you want to hear X, Y, and Z, but your, whether it be your nonverbals or your reaction, everything else is telling us something different. So. It wasn't my intent to make them feel that way, but we don't get, people don't judge us on our intent. Right. They evaluate us harshly on our actions. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my intent, my actions match. So, uh, I mean, that's one standout of many. Uh, and the reason I chose it for the book is because that leadership scenario happens every day. Mm-hmm. And you know, I tried to be real intentional about the chapters that in the arc that I picked for the book, because more than anything, Devin, I wanted to write the book that I wish someone would have written for me as I was beginning my leadership journey. And, you know, I know we're using the term leadership, but leadership, they should call it my helping journey because that's really all it is. And, you know, it's not about the title. It's just about the mark that we want to leave on this, on this world that we're a part of. Yeah, I fully that resonates with me fully. The notion that we're people working with people, collaborating with people, influencing people, affecting people. And regardless of title or position, which usually because of the way society kind of constructs certain things and has over time, uh, usually means that uh, there is a fear when somebody has authority or power of title. Right there, it's it's a built-in thing for many people, based on construct of society, how they were raised, anything else. Um, so that means that even when you do have the best intentions and you're having the impact, you're still fighting some of those other societal influences that that creep into some folks' minds that might make people a little bit cautious. And again, regardless of title, level, or position, um, and that's that's one of the things where. For me, when I when I was reading through this and I was thinking through your story and I was thinking, well, gosh, some of this, it wasn't. Yes, I appreciate that you're taking responsibility for some of the things that you were doing, but some of it's not even you're making. It's constructed, you know, in in the environment, environmentally for folks. And so we have to overcome that and be conscious and aware in that idea of being an intentional leader and belonging happens through intention and intentional um culture, intentional dialogue, intentional sharing and, and asking and uh, humbling yourself and, you know, honoring people. Right. Right. No doubt. So the idea that, that uh, your career starting in the military where uh, individuality and creating this sense of, uh, you know, uh, what some people think when we talk belonging, it's this kumbaya, you know, we are the world situation. The military requires you to to have some demanding standards and looking out for one another and each other and a brotherhood that actually has some of these same principles, even though it might not come to our mind. It's not all it's not necessarily this kumbaya thing. It, it's a principle that, I, from my experience in the Navy, uh, was instilled right in the beginning of boot camp. You know, th- there's a greater cause that we're a part of, and we have to keep our our eye on that. So, uh, what what was your experience there? Did you start to to evolve some of these initial pieces there when you were in the army? Uh, yeah. Well, I joined the right branch. So, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> we're doing this. Okay. I, uh, well, hey, all hail the volunteer. It's um, absolutely the, the the lessons that we learn in the military. You, you can't duplicate them anywhere else. Um, and, you know, it's interesting when you meet a fellow veteran, whether you served in the same branch or, mm-hmm. you know, the Navy or whatever, we, uh, we, we can form a connection almost instantly. And in my experience, I've learned that's for two reasons. One, we immediately give each other the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. because we know that you've been through something similar that we have. And secondly, We've been conditioned over our military journey 
to do the single most important thing required of leadership, and that's build trust. Mm-hmm. I, and you can feel that and you can sense it. And most of our time, because we check those two boxes immediately, then we can start really getting to understand one another and learning what some of those other moments are. Right. And I feel like that's what you and I started doing sure. immediately after we connected. Uh, well, I wanted to share that as context because, you know, uh, you know, my journey through the military, it, it had a lot of really positive experiences, but I also had some great reversed role model experiences that Absolutely. I was able to take out and say, you know what, I'm not going to buy into the notion that the leadership chain is the IQ chain. And that's mm. actually where I got that metaphor, right? It's all top down mm-hmm. and the military does it for very important reasons like safety. Yet uh, I think over time, even the military has started to evolve and give mm-hmm. other, uh, you know, ranks a voice, uh, which is great to see. But, you know, I had both, I had a lot more, positive experiences for the army. I needed it. I needed the rigor. I needed the, the structure. Mm-hmm. I, I needed to get the tar beat out of me over those first couple of years. Um, but you know, I also, I also relish some of those experiences that I took that I'm like, you know what? I, I think there's a better way. It de- definitely both those experiences were, were what I lived as well. Um, and those are experiences that, and, and you write about this, but those are experiences that you even replicated some of the way that you wouldn't want others you bet. to experience, you bet. right? Yeah. And and every one of us has been in a job, whether it's in a a, a corporate job, well, mo- most likely is a corporate job where we're we're acting how we think we're supposed to. We're modeling something that we've seen somebody else who's in a position that we either right. aspire to be in or we just got ourselves into somehow, and um and we we model some of those those folks, even if. Oh, they hit us in that wrong spot. That's right. Uh, and and so you wrote about this, and then you also kind of talk about your your evolution kind of beyond that. And that's the journey that I would love to hear more about. Yeah, it's almost like uh, what's well, to me it was as, a lot like becoming a parent, right? I know before my wife and I had kids, we would often you know be somewhere and you heard that kid or you saw that kid that was acting out. And I know I silently said to myself, my wife didn't cause she's a lot smarter than I am, but I know I silently said to myself several times, like my, my kid will never act that way. Hmm. And, and my, and my kid on more than a handful of occasions has been worse. So uh, <laughs> actually all three of them have, mm-hmm. and you know, a few things will humble you more than your parental journey. But Devin, I think, the reason I tried to be real intentional about highlighting some of those, whether it be aha moments or uh, moments where I bought into the alpha myths and I bought into the dogma was no one gave me permission. And, you know, now some of the feedback I'm getting from people, it's like, Hey, not only are you giving me insight on how I should do it, which is real simple, right? Follow, follow your heart and your mind. That's not an or it's an and, right? Because it has to make great sense. But some of the best feedback I'm getting now is like, Hey, not only did you tell me that this is the way I should do it. I mean, that this is the way I could do it, but you gave me permission that this is the way I should do it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I want, I, I knew in my heart, a lot of times when I made some of these mistakes, I could, I could tell it didn't feel right, but I did because I thought I was supposed to do it that way. And it's, it's not the case. Like too often the, the heart loses over the head in the court of compassion. Mm-hmm. Like I'm on a mission to switch that. So I'm right there with uh, you, brother. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're doing great work with it. And, uh, yeah. And I think the world's ready for it. I, I don't believe the need. I believe the needs never been greater than it is now for compassionate leadership. Yeah, I agree. And there's, there's so many phrases and so many terms and so many ways to, to look at the same 
thing here and there's really just two sides to this coin in my opinion and and one of them is to to just generally don't be a dick like you know be a good person right. and 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 look after people and things will generally work out well and then there's the other side of the coin which is to take a, a protracted approach to others and worry about yourself and um and what you can get from relationships and people, the old adage, the sales adage with them, right? What's in right. it for me? Yeah. Oh, right. uh, we have to condition something different. And, um, and it, it goes into, it, let's talk about a company. It goes into everything from how you onboard somebody, how you bring them into your environment. And some places it just stops there. Right. Uh, so th then it continues past that though. Cause some places it, it onboards with this great, you know, wow, I'm so glad I'm a part of this culture. And then you get into the real culture, right? Out in the That's workforce. Right. And it's different because it's run by uh, people who aren't connected to or sharing necessarily the vision. And then it starts to, to kind of go away and fall apart. And there's some things that you've done um, with populist groups specifically uh, over the years of adapt. You, you mentioned, um, thank you, by the way, for showing me and sharing with me uh, 2.0 and 3.0 of the culture. It was amazing to see that journey. And I'm imagining it's a, a big journey from 1.0 too. So it's this idea of the culture has to grow and, and adapt and develop just as people do. If you're going to fulfill the the needs of people in the business, but there's a couple things that, that you really talk to and speak to that, that boil this down for me really simply. One of those you've mentioned already speak from the heart. And the other you've mentioned already is to give more than you take. Okay. What does that look like practically? How how does a leader who or a person who may be in a an environment, a work environment, where that's not what's modeled around them? There are those dogmas and the 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 alpha stories that are that are existing out there. But they can still take control. They can still have influence. Everybody can influence. It doesn't matter their role. So how how can that show up authentically and and intentionally? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's take speak from the heart because it's a real simple example. Um, yeah, we learn at some point in time as kids, somehow we're someone, I don't know where it happens, but we're taught to filter our thoughts and we're taught to start censoring things. And, uh, and I don't, I wish things weren't that way because it's refreshing when you meet someone that always tells the truth. And that's really what speak from the heart is. It's like we, we, it's refreshing when we hear it in kids. And then all of a sudden we go into this zone where we're censoring everything we say. And then, you know, you get to a certain age and all of a sudden it's acceptable again to be that, <laughs> that old person that, you know, is incredibly candid. Right. So you know, I say that with an and, and that mm -hmm. is, yeah, that doesn't give you permission to, you know, to be a jerk. Right. But that's not what I'm talking about. And I think in leadership, you know, speaking from the heart is about just, hey, tell the truth. The only way you can build trust is talking about the good, bad, and the ugly. And when you try to build a company or run a team, and all you're talking about is the good stuff, no one's going to believe you anyway. So you, you got to talk about it all. You got to share it all. Otherwise you can't build trust. I agree. And, and there's the other side of that that exists though too, which is in a performance driven atmosphere where for-profit companies have a mission and that is to right. deliver for their shareholders or stakeholders. So uh, sometimes, in fact, maybe more frequently than what we would like to see is the opposite. It's, it's telling the truth and right. only one aspect of the truth, which is the current deficit or opportunity to, to advance it. So any insights on the, to how to keep that other part of uh, tell the whole truth, if you will, um, front of mind? Yeah. Uh, I think where a lot of leaders struggle is, um, they haven't yet figured out that asking for help is a sign of strength. Mm. And because of that, they dilute the messages. They will only talk about 
the stuff that they think everybody else wants to hear. But imagine for a moment that the leader that stands in front of the team and says, like, I am getting my butt kicked. And I want to tell you right now, I am more afraid than I've ever been because this is at stake and this is happening and this has happened. And I'm going to be perfectly forthright with every one of you. I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do, but I think together we can all figure it out. Like if you're in that audience, I don't know about you, but I'm like, heck yeah, I want to help. Yeah. I'm already inspired. Let's do this. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, it's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. You know, a friend of mine that uh, he also served in the army and he had a saying, uh, and he calls it, you know, participating in your own rescue. And that's, that's really what speak from the heart is, you know, it's about, Hey, tell the truth. It's about asking for help. It's about telling people what you're struggling with and what you're afraid of. And that's not synonymous with airing your dirty laundry as drama. Right. Uh, we don't have any time in our life for that, especially if you speak from the heart, right? Because then you'll look at that person and say, hey, dude, that's drama. Mm-hmm. You need to go take that. You need to go get that fixed. Right? But uh, I think more than anything, Devin, I wanted you to understand the essence of what I believe yeah. and why I believe it. And I had a lot of great reverse remote, remote uh, excuse me, reverse role models along the way mm-hmm. that modeled that dogma that, Hey, I don't have any, you know, I don't have anything dent in my armor. Right. <laughs> I, I, I got my stuff together. And every time I'm like, dude, I can see right through you. Mm-hmm. So everybody can, people can see right through your nonsense. Maybe you've lost time and money or you're losing the wrong people. Or you just have a conflicted culture that's searching for the truth. Or it could be something like productivity loss and people are just stressed. Either way, perhaps we should talk. I'd love to work with you and share with you through my keynotes, highly engaging workshops, coaching and consulting services, how we can bring the power of belonging factor and the tools we've developed to your organization and meet these challenges with real solutions that involve people, refine process, and help you deliver better profits. So visit belongingfactor.com or rudimentsolutions.com today. Thank you for listening to The Belonging Factor, and I look forward to working with you and your teams. Everybody can, and and, and um, to, to keep bringing this back to the concepts we advance here through the podcast, uh, a word you've mentioned a bunch of times, authenticity. Um, but that's that's really the idea is when when I can see that what you're telling me or what you're asking me to do is different than what the realities are. Right. I, a, I know you're being inauthentic. B, it causes me to uh, question a lot more and lose trust and have to feel like sometimes then maybe I have to go verify. I have to go spend time after I get you know, interact with you to then go verify to make sure if things are going the right way, because I'm concerned for myself as to whether or not I'm going to do something that is misaligned with what we need to do. Uh, and that, I mean, that's an experience I think so many people have had and and that idea of being authentic, um, allows that test to easily be, you know, answered, Hey, listen, you know, the, what I say, what I do, um, how vulnerable I am, all of those things that show up, uh, give you the ability to pass that test really quickly and help the the cause align with the cause a lot more quickly. Right. That's right. That's right. You mentioned something I think is worth noting. Yeah. And that is, you know, leaders that despise that drama and gossip and water cooler talk. What they need to realize is that they're the biggest contributors to it by not speaking from the heart mm. and not telling the truth. Because if you told the truth and if you spoke with very unvarnished candor, also with kindness, right? Because it's an and, mm-hmm. uh, you take away all the stuff that they're going to go talk, uh, talk about at the water cooler anyway. So 
that's participating in your own rescue. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Obviously, there are certain things that you you just can't talk about, whether it's regulatory sure. or, or other sure. competitive things. Right. But right. The, that's, that's, that's not the stuff that ends up usually yeah. at the water cooler. The stuff that exactly. ends up at the water cooler are the assumptions, the fill-in-the-blank conversations. Right. And, you and when you can eliminate that, gosh, how perfect. So giving more than you take. This is really, I think, a central concept of your life, of populace, of sure. the gift of struggle in general. Uh, help help walk us through kind of that journey and, and the same question, that journey for a person who is wanting to influence those around them more and bring more joy for themselves as a result. It, you know, selfishly, we all, we all love to feel good too, sure. but uh, it feels better to give uh, or it can feel better to give. What's, what's the story there? Well, it's, I'm going to, you know, it's about humility. It's about compassion. It's about, um, wanting more for your people than you want from them. And in doing so, you connect people to something bigger than themselves. So it's about community, not individualism. And you know, at the core of it was, you know, obviously the bus story for me. And then early on in the book, I tell several other stories about, about my dad and, you know, about the, drive that I had from California to you know, Detroit, where I started my company, where I shared what I imagined with my wife. And it's about all those things and wanting to do something so that I could, at the end of the day, whatever that day is, and I hope it's not anytime soon, I can check that did my story matter box. Because I agree with you. We, we are all selfish in the way we do things because it ultimately boomerangs back to ourself. But it's how we do those things that make our story matter that I believe is most important. You know, doing it in a way that is generous and that helps other people climb their mountain. Because the more you Sherpa other people's climbs, they, the, the brighter and more beautiful that view from your summit's going to be. So this climber thing, I'd, yeah. love, I'd love to talk more about this. And by the way, I don't, I, what you said, I mean, I, I was right there with you. I was on that summit thinking I brought all these people up here with me. And then I was thinking about Everest and I didn't even have to use oxygen because these Sherpas up there are crazy, right? I mean, they're, they're incredibly talented people. Um, you call at Populous Group, you call everybody who works there climbers. Mm -hmm. um, what's the story behind that? So two reasons. Uh, actually three. One, I can't stand the word employees. Mm. Like, what's it mean? It's just a definition. And it's somewhat um, uh, subordinate. There's a subordinate sense to the definition. So that's first and foremost. But secondly, when, when I joined, right, the summer before I went in the Army, I worked at Disney. And Disney, if you're not aware, they call their employees cast members. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I still understand the essence of what it meant to be a cast member at Disney. Well, when I went to the Army, you very quickly realize that you are a soldier. Mm -hmm. And I know to this day the essence of what it meant to be a soldier. So when I started my company, because... I wanted people to understand the essence of what it meant to be part of our community. I actually applied good theft from those days and how I felt. And I, you know, tied a climbing theme around my company because I believe that every single one of us are climbing our own mountain, right? There's a place that we imagine that looks and feels better than where we are today. And I love the mountains. Uh, so I, that's when I started calling everyone climbers. And on everyone's first day, they get a carabiner. And on that carabiner, it says, it, it's written one letter, one word, choice. Because we get to choose how high we climb. And we do a lot of things in our welcome because, you know, I often tell people that the, the best organizations out there with the strongest culture, they do three things better than anyone. They select well, they welcome well, and they develop well. And that's significantly different from hiring, 
onboarding and training. And I tell a lot of stories around that, but uh, long-winded answer to your question. But in the end, you know, as climbers, we're all connected to this, you know, mountain that we're all climbing together and you have to take these carabiners to any meeting you go to, you know, because we climb as one, that's what we call, call it in our community. And uh, we're maniacal about living that culture code and our values and our boundaries and our purpose. So. And that's exactly where I'd love to th- thank you for teeing that up. That's exactly where I'd like to go next is the idea that um, back to intention and being deliberate. You now use the word maniacal, which I think is just a, a further evolution of this concept that it doesn't happen on its own. It, we can't just message it and plaster it on the walls and recite it at meetings or tell people I have an open door policy. I expect right. feedback. And, and somehow magically this culture will, will exist. It requires not just living it, but creating, fostering, um, in a a million other adjectives that, that aren't even hitting the tip of my tongue right now, but that exist. It's, it requires a deliberate effort, a maniacal effort. How do you make sure that no matter what, whether it's a person who's been, um, in your organization, uh, 10 years or 10 days that they approach it with that same intention? Well, we, when anyone that joins a populist group, we have an acronym and it says, Hey, we only hire climbers who care. And let me unpack that a little bit. Right. Culture comes from the Latin word cultus, which means to care. Mm. Well, we take that a step further. Care for us, it stands for four things. Candor, accountability, resourcefulness, and exceptional. And so every single one of those has a meaning and a way to live out our culture. And it's, they're non-negotiable for us. It doesn't matter if you've been in our community a week or if you've been in our community since day one, like we are unwavering about what it means to leave, live it. And we do it imperfectly, right? We're human yet, you know, we'll, we'll challenge one another. We'll correct one another. And it's, it starts and ends with that. We, we, we don't, we don't compromise it for anyone. So. Yeah. Good. And I, and I would love to tell my listeners uh, about what really impresses me a lot about Bobby, your story and what maybe it's more than your story. I think it's the application to this point of all of these different moments, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to share that vulnerability publicly. Uh, you know, Hey, th- these are things that I've learned from that I've done. These are mistakes I'd love to help you not make. These are things that I've learned from uh, in others that have been influential for me, and I would love to help you on that journey. Uh, That approach really resonated with me, first in reading, and then in talking with you, and then in seeing what happens at the culture within uh, your organization. And for me that that's there's there's a magnetism i think to to that type of leadership where there's another type of leadership that can repel folks put people on guard cause people to turn in their minimum viable effort and then right. there's the one that is the competitive advantage the one that causes people to innovate and causes people to take risk uh that that leads to exceptional outcomes not all the time sometimes at least sure. some pretty disastrous ones Right. And, and, and a strong organization can absorb those and roll with those and continue to encourage um, th- that piece there. So just expressing a personal thank you for reminding me um, that that magnetism, I can't even talk, for reminding me that that magnetism is not just about charisma, but it's about delivering something in the world that matters to people, to processes, but also to profits, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's something that helps everybody get something out of it. Uh, and it helps you get something out of it. So I'm going to ask you to be yeah, selfish for a minute. Yeah. Now that I just <laughs> laid all that on you. Um, 
What, what do you get to take out of all of this stuff that you do? Well, first of all, thank you for those very kind compliments. I appreciate it. Uh, I am very proud of how hard you know, I've worked, but I'm even more proud of how hard the people that have been with me on the mountain have worked. Uh, you know, I'll often get questions like, uh, hey, you know, Bobby, what's your single biggest accomplishment? And I answer it the same way every time. I'm like, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> uh, and that's twofold. One, because I have huge dreams about paying forward that kind act that I got on the bus that night, you know, helping other kids like me who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide. So I've been blessed to do a, a lot of that. My dream's big and I'm going to help a lot of those kids. So that's why I say that. And another reason I say that is because, um, man, I'm a sucker for the underdog. That's why in the book, you know, all hell, the underdogs, like what I get out of it is seeing great people like you, you know, Tom Mel, who's climber number one, my brother, Ed, who was on the bus with me. Who you outscored. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Outscored that, you. I didn't outscore him. He's, he totally, yeah, uh. he, he, he was an awesome basketball player. If I said, if I said I outscored him, he'd, he'd go on the podcast and <laughs> prove me right. Okay. But, uh, you know, and, and, and seeing, you know, like a lot of the things that I talk about in our culture, yes, you know, like, I imagined it. Maybe it comes from, you know, from what I wanted, but if it wasn't for great people like, you know, Karen, my vice president of HR and her team, just, you know, Stephanie, the Stephanus and some of those people, it's like, it's, it stayed in my brain bouncing around like a bullet in the cave. And so the reason I'm saying that is because like few things make my heart sing mm -hmm. more than putting one of them on stage. Like, Writing a book wasn't even on my list. Like I moved to a farm in Portland to lay low. <laughs> uh, and you know, it, it, I'm jacking that up a little bit, writing the book and I'm super pleased with the reception for it. Uh, but man, I'm better off. Like I'm happier just hanging out here on the farm yeah. uh, and, and seeing those underdogs on stage. And, and that that's really what I want to do is give people a, uh, what I needed more than anything in the beginning. And that's a little bit of hope. And, and a space for their, their, yeah. their light to, to shine for their, their brightness yeah. to, to let others be able to see it and be impacted by it. I think yeah. right? that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Just be free. You know, it's like, Hey, we all struggle. You know, every struggle teaches us something. That's a gift. Like share those gifts. And uh, that's why, you know, when, um, you know, some of the feedback I've received for the book is like, Hey, it's different. And as much as I appreciate that, I, I somewhat feel like they're thanking me for not speeding in a school zone. Devin. <laughs> I'm like, it's, uh, it's like, well, yeah, but it shouldn't be right. Yeah. It shouldn't be right. So you get to change that. And you know, that's what I want to encourage your listeners to do is, Hey, lead from the heart. I do what's right. And most of the times that's synonymous with doing the right thing. So, yeah, the, just show up and you know, be, be generally a good person and treat people generally well. And yeah, and stuff's going to, going to come around. That's pretty good. That's uh, it. And when you mess up when you're going to just own it, yeah. just own it, just raise your hand and say, Oh man, I really, I really messed that up. Like who can bail me out? Yeah. Right. So, or, hey, I'm, it's going to take me a minute to bail myself out of this and nobody no else can help me no with doubt. it. Yeah, that's uh, it. That's it. Bear with me on it. Bear with me on it. So the gift of struggle, the, the book, I, just talking about the, the formatting of it and, and the read of it for our, our listeners who haven't yet um, had a chance to read it. And by the way, we'll have make sure we have a link in the, the show notes. So check the show notes. There'll be uh, a link to the book. You can find it on Amazon. I'm sure also at pretty much any Barnes and Noble or book retailer yeah, out there. Yeah, CEO read. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Hudson's in the airport. If you're a traveler, it's Ooh, Hudson's. What a yeah, place. it's like, yeah, they, they, they're putting in an insane amount of airports. So very fortunate. They're big supporters of it. So good. They've been, they've been great partners. Good. That, that, that's fantastic because I, I truly believe uh, we, we need a lot of people to read this uh, for all the reasons that I've talked about, but, but man, it, so it's different because of, I think the structure. And not the, Hey, thanks for not speeding in the schools, right. but more that, that it's like, Hey, here's, here's what I 
experienced. Right. And here's kind of what I took out of it. Uh, you fast forward how I applied it and kind of here's the, the gift to be able to, to take out of it, which makes it such an, a, an applicable, relatable piece. Even if, you know, I mentioned earlier, I white, straight male. I grew up with a totally different experience the way others treated me than you grew up with. And that's not fair. It's not right. It's life, though. And right. yet I could still relate to every one of these stories and find those moments for me where those certain things happened, right? So the idea being that that we can have these very diverse um, experiences and, and ways we've grown up in our lives, but still relate to all this. And that's one of the things that, that for me about the book itself was so applicable. Now, uh, I will, I'm going to out myself here. I've spoken now, or not spoken, I've read now twice the book, uh, uh-huh. all, the, all the way through. And now I'm going back through the third time and I'm actually like starting to look at some of these individual chapters or individual stories um, with more notes. So, so I've got a bunch of notes and highlights and stuff already in this, in this thing, which is fantastic. Um, thanks for leaving s- some space to be able to do that. But the, um, the, the, just the fact that this is one of those stories and this is maybe again, why it's different. It's one of those books where I can go back and I can pick up something new the second or third time through at first I was like, Oh, cool story, bro. And then the second time it was, Oh, okay. So, f- Hmm. And then now, as I'm going back to it, I was like, okay, so th- here's here's something I need to make a difference and change in what I'm doing as a result because I can see this in me and not in the positive way, in a way that I think really needs to be changed. Um, and so that that's what I really appreciate from a format standpoint, from the way you've laid out the stories. And I'm sure a partnership with a whole host of people who've helped refine it into that that condition. But man, no what, what, a, what a great read and what a great book. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm, I'm super grateful that you've been such a student of it. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, is I wanted to write in a manner that uh, I wish someone would have written for me. Yep. And the essence of that is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but one of my favorite quotes is by Jesse Owens. And, you know, he, he said, uh, you know, it's not the races for gold medals that matter. It's the battles that we fight and we win inside that count. And every one of those struggles, you know, I do, I highlight a personal story and then I connect it to how I apply that as a leader. And then I'll, you know, put that with, you know, I'll follow that with some thought provoking questions Mm -hmm. because they're all situational. And my intent was to make the readers hamster wheel spin a little bit. And then I'll, give it a little uh, flash forward, a little teaser on how that initial story that I told for context ended. And, you know, my dad used to tell stories that way. Yeah. And, you know, he gave me the gift of storytelling and uh, I'm just incredibly grateful that it's helping some people. And I, I hope it you know, gives some of these gritty underdogs out there that are listening that one thing I needed and that's some hope to say, Hey, I can climb this mountain we do that, I think it's, it's a great, it's a great story. I'm glad you chose this format and, um, and I'm I'm glad you chose to do it at all considering hanging low on the farm was priority number one, um, there, but, uh, but thank you for being willing to screw up your, your laying low, uh, to get this out there. Um, certainly I know what it likely wasn't something you needed to do, but, uh, felt compelled for a, a higher purpose to, to get it out there and not, not necessarily from a selfish standpoint or maybe. Um, so let's let's end with this. Let's close with this today. I want to ask you to to share, if you could, one thing, if, if there's just one take back that happens today for our listeners that they can do, regardless of situation, so corporate or or community or whatever it is, but something they can do different to show up in a manner that gives uh, a a little bit more connection, a little bit more community, a little bit deeper sense of belonging. Sure. Uh- well, becoming a student of struggle, it's about that self-realization that you know, we must all go through pain, suffering, and struggle to get to wisdom. And you know, leadership's an inside job. And it first starts with not only where you've been, but you know, the, I think the single most important question that any one of us can ask in our journey is who am I becoming? 
And if there's one thing that the leader, the, the readers uh, and, and or aspiring leaders or you know, existing leaders that are listening to your podcast do is, you know, I, I wanted my story to matter. I wanted to climb my own mountain. I wanted to help a lot of people and I, I still do. Um, but the leading question that we must all address is who am I becoming? You, know, you start there and you go back to the beginning and highlight some of those marker moments, what got you to where you are. It's all going to be different, but it's all relevant and significant. Take those lessons and pull the gifts out of those, out of those struggles. And you self-assess how well you're doing as a student of struggle, applying those gifts and even more importantly, sharing them. So uh, we get one act at life, Devin. So there's no do-overs, at least not that I know of. So, you know, let's, let's make it count. Right? Let's give more than we take and make a difference. Sound advice. Who am I becoming? Do a bit of an inventory on the struggles that have gotten you where you're at. Look for the gifts in, in them, uh, and that'll give you a, a good direction on where to apply what you're doing next. That, that's phenomenal. And I, I appreciate that. So if, if you want to learn how to evaluate some of your gifts of struggle, uh, go right now onto Amazon, get on Google, search for The Gift of Struggle by Bobby Herrera. He's the CEO of Populous Group. It's a phenomenal book. It's a phenomenal story, but it's a phenomenal way to start to do some of that self-actualization and understanding of how you can continue to live your journey and contribute to the journey of others along the way. So Bobby, thank you so much for joining us at the Belonging Factor podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. We'll have all of your details in the in the show notes so people can figure out how to connect with you, figure out how to get the book. Uh, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my honor. Pleasure to connect. Let's do it again sometime. You got it. <laughs>